Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. Today, I'm going to talk to Yvette Solar, and we're going to be talking about her fantastic book, The Edible Front Yard. Year after year, homeowners spend countless hours perfecting their lawn as they go to extremes to make sure that the common dandelion and other misplaced plants never appear. Be that as it may, lawn care is a $30 billion industry chock-filled with products that contain toxic chemicals like metacloprid, which are part of systemic pesticides called neonicotinoids. These chemicals will wipe out any chance for a butterfly or bumblebee to visit your home to pollinate the vegetables in your garden, much less your pretty flowers. Now, many conscious gardeners are rethinking how they manicure their land. They simply convert the front lawn into an edible landscape. It not only contributes to good soil health, which is critical to the environment, but also helps to lower food bills. So on today's show, I would like to welcome Yvette Solar. She is fantastic, and her book has so many lovely designs, so many tips. It's chock-filled with beautiful pictures and information on how you can convert your front lawn into an edible garden. So I would like to welcome to the show Yvette Solar. Good afternoon, Yvette. Hi, June. Thank you so much for having me on this afternoon. It's really exciting. Oh, it's always great to talk to people such as yourself who really understand what it's about in regards to uh, getting people to reconnect with how their food has grown. And I must say, in addition to your picture, I think I, I love your signature style with tomatoes hanging from your ear. That's gorgeous. <laughs> I, I have to mention one particular thing that I really enjoyed. You mentioned my favorite, favorite, favorite fruit of all, the fig. And oh. figs in my family, when you present someone with a gift of figs, it's as though you gave them gold. And oh. it's interesting yeah. how many of my friends that are first and second generation Italian-American have fig trees in the front of the house. They're not only beautiful, but you know something when you have people that are coming over to visit and you have figs on the trees, it's always the center of attention. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the fig is one of the was one of the the trees again that I consider such an amazing specimen. It's such an amazing anchor for an ornamental edible garden because everything about it, the leaves are so you know they've they've got such a beautiful shape, a lovely texture, this gorgeous color of green, and then the fig itself, you know these lovely juicy globes of purple or green. I mean, what could be more ornamental and the deliciousness of the fruit itself, it just makes it a no-brainer for me. Of course we want a fig. Of course we want a fig tree in our front yard. I actually have a gooseberry bush that I planted. It wasn't done on purpose. It was just kind of uh, by happenstance. I bought it, and then, like many of my plants, unfortunately, me in a nursery or garden center sometimes is not a good idea because I tend to want to buy everything. 
And exactly. I, You're I, just I, like me. Birds of a feather. Like so many people that are listening today. And <laughs> I purchased this gooseberry bush, and I, I actually bought it for myself as a birthday present. Some people like to buy themselves all sorts of different things. I buy a plant. It doesn't matter oh. what it is, whether it's a flower, a succulent. It doesn't matter what it is. This particular year, I decided that I wanted a gooseberry bush. So I bought a gooseberry bush. I think I paid something like $35 for it. And it was in the pot, and I never bothered to plant it. I just left it in the pot, and I just kept watering it as is because I know that they can be invasive, and I was very cautious about that. And I'm glad that I didn't plant it because, lo and behold, even in the pot, I mean, it just started taking over everything. What was interesting is the berries, when it produced fruit, my mail carrier actually said, what kind of berries are those? And it was just fascinating. And the same thing with other people that would come to visit. They would see the berries and they would say, wow, you know, what is that? And it's always great to share things that you find intriguing in nature with other people. And it's almost like a way that you can pass on that information and knowledge. One of my friends actually purchased a jar of homemade gooseberry jam just because she wanted to try it. <laughs> so, you know, you know that, this is this is the thing that I find so incredible about about gardening in your front yard is that people people not just the people who are invited into your house, but the people who walk by your house get activated by seeing food being grown. I mean, in some places, people have never seen certain certain fruits. People have never seen certain vegetables, especially if kids are walking by. I, I live near a high school, a combination sort of like, you know, middle school, high school, and I realize that some kids have never seen anything growing actually on the plant that it comes from. They just think it comes from a grocery store. So this is, it's an amazing educational opportunity as well, and 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 people get really excited about it. People start like, you know, you know, asking questions. It, it's really thrilling to me when that happens. I, I'm, it's so cool that you have that exact same experience. Well, what I appreciated the most about your book is that you took the time to not only give the information but different designs. And, you know, you have quite an eye for design, and especially here in New York where everybody's kind of keeping up with the Joneses, you go to some of these society meetings where, you know, people just could rattle off the botanical nomenclature about any given plant and tell you all sorts of information. When they see something that is different and completely foreign to anything that they could have possibly dreamed of, it becomes quite the, the topic. And right. it, it's kind of one of the little intrigues, I guess, that people who are really into gardening can appreciate because when you see something that you really like, it's like you can't help but talk about it. I mean, if you see something, oh, and, and yes. people still talk about it for years and years and years. I remember there was one gentleman that apparently has a little miniature railroad system that he created in his garden, and it's still the talk of the society today. <laughs> and so whenever I meet somebody that has that type of creative vision that can do all sorts of things and not just make it where it's pretty landscape that increases the value of the property but something that's functional something that can appeal to the young and the old and especially children children i find that when you bring them to a particular area 
where you have an assortment of different types of plants, whether they are they have texture or they have fragrance or just something. Kids retain that information, and let's face it, at this particular point, we need to encourage kids to really reconnect with nature, really reconnect with how their food is produced. And I think oh, yeah. the best way is from what you've demonstrated so nicely in your book, The Edible Front Yard, by creating different areas, if not the whole entire front yard, and turn Absolutely. it into something that they can really connect to directly. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I believe that, I mean, you know, that we should all actually look at our gardens through the eyes of, of a child because gardening is a, is a magical endeavor. I mean, look at what happens. We, we plant a seed and we, we put water on it, the sun shines on it, and it turns into something else entirely. If, if that isn't magic, I don't know what is. And then we can utilize that in our lives either for beauty or, or, or to sustain us, to feed us. And, and I think that when you're gardening with kids, you can really, really open yourself up to what it means, you know, to, to really feel that again. And, and, and I so agree that kids really need to, to connect, connect to what it is that, that is happening right now with our food source. It's, you know, we care for our children, we care for our families, and when we grow it, we know it's organic, we know it's wholesome, we know it's good, and we're also teaching them to, you know, to do better, to do better next time. Hopefully, I mean, I think this is a socio, I think this is a change. I think we're in the middle of a zeitgeist and that people aren't standing for this anymore. You know, there are huge petitions to get rid of GMOs. People are really standing up against things at, at, at this time, and I couldn't be prouder of, you know, my gardening brothers and sisters for potentially making an incredible sociological shift right now. I agree, and you have people like Joel Saladin who are leaders in organic agriculture that are encouraging people to really reconnect not only with the farmers but with your food. And the thing is, is that when you take a look at organic agriculture, especially in the United States, where we produce some phenomenal organic crops, it's ridiculous that we still import food from faraway places when the food is in season. And that's ridiculous, just so that we could get a cheaper price when we produce the best organic citrus in the world, but yet we're importing it just to get a cheaper price. And the price that's paid is by the farmers. The farmers are the ones that have to deal with the disease and all sorts of issues because of this unconscious consumerism that's taking place where people are purchasing things because it's cheaper instead of what the quality is. And that needs to change. Absolutely. And what their actual need is. Because I see people who, you know, buy, buy so much more than what they actually use. When we're growing it ourselves, you know, I go out and I pick my lemon and I use one lemon rather than going to the store buying five lemons and not being able to use three of them and then three go to waste. There's so much waste that's involved, you know, just in a typical kind of, you know, marketing system where, where you, you know, so much goes, goes uneaten. When you're growing your own, I, I can't tell you the last time I've thrown away some of my homegrown lettuce. Are you kidding me? That's not <laughs> exactly. Away. That's not going to waste. Not only is it not only is it nourishing me, but it's also you know being utilized as a beautiful ornamental plant in my garden. So it's either like if I'm not eating it and leaving it in the garden, it's going to blossom. It's going to send up its seeds and make you know many more volunteers for next year. And so, that's yeah. a very important point 
Because, you know, many people tend to forget that when some of these plants flower, like carrots, for example, carrots produce very beautiful flowers. The same yeah. thing with turnip greens. I mean, the list goes on and on, and the flowers are just amazing. In many cases, with turnips in my yard, the turnip greens, they reseed. Um, they're self-sowing. They reseed. They come up every year. They're a little bit all over the place at this point. They're edible. They also are beautiful to look at, and they attract the pollinators. For that, I'm very grateful. I'm glad that you brought up lettuce because lettuce, uh, you know, you. I, I think that's very smart. You should only pick what you need. I mean, to pick beyond that is really wasteful. Plus, that's the whole benefit of having your own lettuce, to pick it when it's fresh and I mean, you walk out the door, you pick it, you rinse it off, you eat it. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that. And, and the 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 flavor, the you know, the feeling of it, the the you know, just knowing that you're part of of a of a chain of sustainability that's happening, that you've really taken control, and you're eating something that is way more delicious than anything you could have bought at um, at a supermarket. That you know, that's incredibly satisfying. And and I think that more and more people are really, you know, grooving on that right now. And that's that's super, super exciting to me. Because, you know, I mean I mean, right now I think I think one of the issues about about my book, you know, is that a lot of people, you know, they do want to keep up with the Joneses and they do want their you know, they do want their their front yard to be beautiful. And I wanted people to know that they can integrate food into that really sunny place. You know, wherever a lawn can grow, food can grow. Minimize the lawn, maximize the food. The food can be just as beautiful as an ornamental or, you know, as, a, as any annual or perennial, any other ornamental. And you're firing off on all cylinders when you do that. You know, this is, it's, it's a whole new generation, I think. It's a, whole, it's, it's a world that kind of wants everything. And I believe that you can have everything. You can have that when you're when you're gardening and thinking in this particular way, thinking the edible ornamental way. I think it's interesting. I had a colleague that um, kind of ran out of room in the back, and they they bought too many seedlings, so they decided to plant it in the front of the house. And this is going back maybe about ten, twelve years, and I remember one of the neighbors complained and she just looked at the neighbor and said if it offends you i'll rip it out right now but don't ask me for tomatoes at the end of the season there you go and Uh the neighbor shut up and i thought you know what good for you uh in general people as long as you don't let everything you know go up in weeds people i don't really think people really mind as long as it looks neat and it and it's attractive who cares Yes, that's that's the key. That's the key right there, that it be attractive, that it be neat. Because you can, you know, if you decide I'm going to have, I'm going to make half of my front lawn a cornfield, um, well then, you know, then that does pose a problem because what happens when you harvest your corn? What hap- you know, you're, you're, you're allowing for, you know, enormous holes within within a landscape. I think that, you know, we always have to be we have to be a little sneakier than that when we're when we're planting food in our front yard. We have to we have to associate the same way that a designer would associate, you know, plants together in a meadow, we need to associate our our edibles with other kinds of plants that help support them and help them to look really beautiful so that we don't have at the end of the season, oh my God, I here's, you know, my corn is, is harvested, my tummy is full, but my front yard looks like hell, and my neighbor is arguing <laughs> with me. 
you that's, know? Why, that's why you begin. Uh, I've seen people do that, and what I've seen them do is they will take other fall plants, and then yeah. it, it's almost like getting new furniture where, okay, you had your summer furniture out, and now the fall has arrived, so you pull everything out, and then you begin planting cold-weather crops, so to speak, and it gives a little change of venue and just change in decor. And I think that's yeah. really nice if you have the time to do that. I know many people don't, but for those that do, I think it's great. And when you don't, that's where, you know, integrating your edibles with, with, um, with you know, your other garden plants works so beautifully. Um, you know, like, like I always, I, I use, like right now I have my um, red uh, mustard growing underneath my iceberg roses. And they do such a beautiful job of just, you know, having this red foil of, of color underneath my white roses. They hide the icky little ankles the roses get. And then the color contrast of the red, you know, big, coarse red leaves with beautiful, fresh, white roses is just unbeatable. It's, it's really glorious. And, and so, you know, there is another example of something working in an integrated way so that we don't, like, actually, we don't actually have to, like, pull out or replant everything. That rose is going to still be there. But you can replant that mustard and you can put, you know, put something, you know, lovely and fresh sorrel, basil, you know, something else for the summer. Now, doesn't the mustard also act as a companion plant because of the uh, the, the uh, flavor of the mustard for any type of uh, pests that might want to eat the roses? Oh, that is, that's a really, really good, um, good point. It's also a trap crop. I mean, you know, it can also, I plant a lot of, a lot of the, you know, brassicas sometimes uh, as, as trap crops for the cabbage loafers. Um, and, and because I, I'm mad about kale, and I find if I plant mustard, which you know, which I don't really use as much of, mm-hmm. close to my kale, my kales won't get as many of the you know little white butterflies visiting them and leaving those terrible little worms that eat my <laughs> eat my lacinato kale, which I want all of. Now that's that's an excellent point. I also plant a lot of kale. I love kale, and kale is just fantastic, especially when you grow it yourself. Yeah. Not to mention the nutritional value of the kale. I think the companion planting rule is really important, especially when you're trying to utilize the color, the texture. Bring that all together so that you can grow things that will suit your purposes in many different regards. And I think that's really smart to plant the mustard along with the kale. I'm going to actually try that this year. One of the things that I wanted to ask you is, in the beginning of the book, I just love this. I wish I could grow them, but you have this one picture of, it's like a yellow, I guess a yellow area of the house. I don't know if it's a back porch or what, but you have lemons and limes. And I just am so in love with this picture. I don't know where it was taken, but I just love this whole concept it's just a stunning stunning picture of lemons and limes and i've always wanted to have my own citrus but unfortunately in the northeast it's just too cold right you know that is that is uh i have to say it's stunning it's a stunning home um it belongs to to an artist her name is Tay white and um and that's that beautiful yellow front wall where their black front door is was the perfect place for this citrus alley. And, and it just showed how just by taking a little cue from the architecture, 
you know, by planting a beautiful row of yellow Eureka lemons that, that echoed the color of the wall, you know, all of a sudden you are, you're in, you're fire, you're like a designer. You know, this isn't just, you know, oh, just put a lemon tree here. All of a sudden it's a beautiful, you know, lovely moment. And, um, and that's, that's the kind of thinking I like to encourage. And I agree with you. That's one of my favorite moments in the book. I think it's so simple and so elegant. And, and you know, I mean, I, I know that citrus is very hard to grow for people, but, but, you know, that same idea can be achieved, you know, with potted citrus, you know, maybe a different, a different um, you know, a different sort of look, but as, you know, if they're, if they're small, they're still going to be beautiful. They're still going to give you that same idea. I actually grew a Hamlin uh, orange tree <laughs> from some seeds, and it's about seven feet tall. That's six or seven feet tall. I'd say it's closer to seven. Um, I can't fit it in my house anymore, um, <laughs> and i i don't want to I don't want to trip I don't want to trim the top, but um, it just might have to happen unless I can. I don't want to give it away. I, I mean, oh, it's like my course. baby, you know. <laughs> Of course, you grew it from seed. You grew it from seed. It's a victory. It's, it's a complete just, victory. <laughs> it's just that I don't have uh, the proper lighting for it, and it has not produced fruit yet, uh, and I am waiting for that day when I see little fruit um, little fruit emerge, but for right. now, it, do, it there's nothing. Um, oddly enough, I had a fig tree that I brought inside and I had three little tiny figs but unfortunately because we had uh, this crazy weather where the the temperature dropped my baby figs fell off so um, kind of a bummer yeah but I was really excited to just see these little baby figs emerge Uh, (laughs) but with with the fruit trees I just think that the the way that you have taken the color from the fruit and combined that with the actual color of the house um, or just aspects of the property, I just think that that is tremendous. I mean, it just really emphasizes that beautiful natural color. And, you know, it, it just makes you feel so calm and so peaceful, and it's just such a serene environment, and you just have such great taste. Oh, why, thank you. Thank you I, I really so much. love your work. I, I missed, I know that you were just in New York, and uh, I would have loved to have attended your lecture, but, uh, you know, the the information that you have in here is just fantastic. Um, Yvette, let me ask you, with the um, front yard edibles, uh, you have a list of rules. Can we just talk about that for a moment? What What are some basic rules that a newbie or just somebody that wants to just change things up a bit and convert, say, a small portion of their lawn to an edible front yard. What are some things that they should know? Well, first of all, I think it's really important that you don't bite off more than you can chew. Um, Very good because, point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, for, for me, it's it. I really want to make converts to this, and if somebody just tries to do way too much they're not going to keep up with, with, you know, the demands of it. It's really important to me that one be able to, to maintain their garden. And, you know, we all have busy lives. That's why I suggest that you choose, you know, start off by maybe not, you know, going whole hog and ripping out your entire front lawn, but minimizing the lawn area and then picking a few things that, that you love, that you really love, and start with those. 
And then you can start moving into more exotic things and trying things that you've heard of. Um, and I, will al- I also want people to just really start looking at the edibles that, that, that you're using and looking at their shapes, looking at their forms, and start, start using your eye in a much more um, painterly way almost. Look at, your, look at the colors. Look at the textures. Look at those shapes. And and start playing with with that with the, these ideas of of making making beautiful associations in your in your edible beds. Um, there's you know there's this thing that happened in my in my front yard that I just thought was so fun and great. I had a volunteer of a sun gold tomato just pop itself next to a blue pole cactus. Of course, I live in Los Angeles, so so these things happen here sometimes. Mm. Um, you know, I can I plant my cactus in my front yard, and this beautiful yellow tomato started crawling with the cactus, using it as a trellis. And I really learned an enormous lesson from that because I saw the color, the orange color of the tomato, next to the blue color of the cactus, with the fresh green leaves climbing up it. It had such interesting textural, colorful, and 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 the contrast of idea was also really really interesting. So you know that one image, that one mo- that one moment, really inspired me, and I hope that people start thinking that way in their own gardens. Just like, be playful, be you know, be color color outside of the lines, think outside the box, and and use your imagination. You know, really really start playing, because your garden should be not only your edible garden shouldn't only be. To nourish you, but also to nur- you know, not just to nourish your stomach, but to nourish your spirit, because that's what gardening does for us. And so, you know, so I believe that we need to take as much sensual pleasure in the viewing of the garden and in the working of the garden that we do in the harvesting and eating of the garden as well. You know, it's interesting. My observations of just different front yard landscapes, uh, I, I've just noticed. Um, that the whole concept of adding something edible, uh, it's not necessarily something that has become a trend, but I think it's just that there's more emphasis uh, lately to just expand upon what people have been doing. Because, I mean, you see that people will plant certain herbs, not even realizing that, oh, by the way, those are herbs, you can eat them. Um, And... Now I'm starting to see more of the things that you've done, uh, that you've written about in your book, and it's just interesting that if you just take a little bit of time to look at certain plants, and as you mentioned, uh, see how they look together with other contrasting colors and the sizes, the shapes, so on and so forth, and I think that's a really smart idea to see what's out there in the nurseries or even in, in the catalogs and say, hey, you know something, this isn't just something that um, is something that's going to go in my salad, but this is something that uh, really is a beautiful plant. Absolutely, June. That's what I really, I love hearing that, because that's what, that's what these are. That makes them even more valuable, you know. Not only are they already amazing and valuable because they give us nutrition, but they're amazing and valuable because they give us beauty they give us something that that is you know oftentimes it's sorely lacking in our lives and and now you know there are so many people who are saving seeds and we've got such a wealth of beautiful heirlooms that have just you know you know come upon the market and we we can 
We can plant, you know, amazing varieties of eggplants, striped eggplants, lavender eggplants, deep purple eggplants that are slender and sinewy. You know, just that alone is, is so thrilling to me. One uh, one of the things that I also um, thought was kind of interesting is I, I I don't know how trendy this is on the West Coast, but I've seen people um, start to implement uh, uh, vertical elements, which yeah. are very interesting. Um, someone was just talking about uh, trying to plant basil vertically and that's kind of a foreign concept to me i you know but uh i'm not quite up to par how you go about doing that but um <laughs> no I, I just i like the idea i mean i remember with um i, I went on this one tour uh property tour a couple of years back with the uh the rhododendron society and just taking a look at the strategic placement of some of these very tall plants and it provided something that I hadn't given much thought which is a sound barrier and especially if you live in the suburbs where maybe uh, it's quiet but uh, on a Saturday night there happens to be a, um, a bar or something and you know summertime they have the doors open and then you have that noise the placement of these trees it's amazing how it really barricades you from that noise. Absolutely. I mean, these screening elements are very important, very, very important. Um, and within a, within the edible front yard zone, sometimes we need to screen, you know, for, for views. Sometimes we actually need to screen so that people don't, you know, reach in and try to, you know, use their sticky fingers to take our, our crops. Mm. But so that's really, really important. And um, And you can use various methods. Um, in the book, I have a project of a trifold screen that is movable, but you can, you know, put it out there on the edge of your property, um, set it back a little bit according to codes, and then grow snap peas on it, or you know, grow grow your um, you know scarlet runner beans um, on it for the summer. Um, also, um, one, you know, when you said growing basil vertically, one thing that I've seen which I really enjoy are um, people have been doing gutter gardens lately, where they just like get bits of gutter and um, and hang them and and grow you know smaller rooted varieties of edibles that way. Lettuces, basil's would work. A gutter um, garden? Can we talk about this? Is something new to me? Oh, um, they're really they're really fantastic. Um, I've seen them in different places on the internet. Um, there's a, a blog called Nest in Style that has a fabulous example of a gutter garden on it. And it, it really is just like six feet of gutter and some chains, and then you just like repeat the, the gutter like maybe four four times. So you've got four four hanging planters, one stacked right on top of the other, you know, with, with a few feet in between each gutter. And, um, and then you go to town, hang it from a tree, hang it from, you know, from a wall, and you've got yourself a vertical garden. That's really a very interesting uh, concept, and you know it's not only great if you have limited space, but I'm sure that if you live in the city, you could actually do that on a fire escape. Absolutely, isn't that fantastic? And it can also provide a screen to your fire escape. You can like do it, you know, do like three little lengths of it, and suddenly you have some privacy. 
And isn't that awesome? Well, privacy, I think that's one of the the best things that you get from having a vertical garden uh, or, or just, you know, planting trees. It uh, doesn't matter what it is, really, but yes, when you use vertical plants. Elements. Absolutely. Vertical elements are so important. They give they give a structure and a stability to a garden. I mean, that's why I, I really encourage people to use, you know, to really pay attention to their hardscape elements, especially the hardscape elements that they're using um, as, as support for their plants. Like if you, if you, a lot of our heirloom tomatoes are indeterminate and they're very rangy. So instead of putting a flimsy tomato cage out there, why not a handsome, tutor or obelisk that that really you know goes with the um you know the style of your home or if your home is very contemporary something you know totally different like something you know made out of um sometimes rebar makes a really beautiful handsome you know rustic kind of um kind of vertical element um whatever really goes with your architecture is where you should you should follow within your garden that's a really, really uh, smart thing to remember, especially that this this time of the year, uh, especially here in the Northeast, uh, as well as many areas, uh, people are starting to think about different things that they can do that don't necessarily require you to break the bank, but it's just yes. something that's different, something that will spruce things up a little bit. And, I mean, for the most part, I think that if people just look around what they have, uh, it's amazing when you look through a book such as yours um, and you take a look at the different ideas that are in here, you substitute things that you may not have available and right. just look at the idea and appreciate it for what it is. And oh. so many of these things are easily achievable. It's just a matter of just getting a little bit of a, of direction. and exactly. the direction. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you point that out. It's inspiration. I really want people to just get inspired and then go off on their own direction and play. I mean, I think that's the most important thing. Now, the next question that I have for you is, um, I th- th- this is something that I've just recently incorporated into my landscape. Um, I had a colleague approach me about feng shuiing my house, and at first I was just like, excuse me? <laughs> And it's just fascinating. I've been I've been to the Brooklyn Botanic Garden a million times. I love the Japanese garden, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I never truly appreciated all the different elements and what it really was about. And I am on a mission to plant as much as many red plants as I can in the front of my house. And I noticed that you have um, you, you happen to have a picture of chard. It was just just gorgeous. And yes. just the the pictures that you have, especially with these uh, little yellow uh, tomatoes, it, it's just it's just brilliant. <laughs> Thank you, my little my happy volunteers. Thank God for those little yellow tomatoes. They really inspired <laughs> me that year. <laughs> They're just gorgeous. They're just so beautiful. And the thing is, is that I've been trying to think of okay, well, what plants can uh, I add to the front landscape this year, uh, and what what can I plant that has more of a red color? I mean, I don't necessarily want to, uh, you know, just plant a whole bunch of one particular uh, annual, but you know, mix it up a little bit, make it more attractive. Oh, yeah. And you've just completely inspired me, especially with the chard combined with the the little yellow tomatoes. I just think oh, that that's yes. 
that's really charming, and it really adds to the diversity, and not to mention the fact that um, it's, in my opinion, the front yard uh, is such a great uh, place to grow things, especially when you have people that are visiting or, you know, you just happen to be sitting outside having your morning cup of coffee or whatever, and you look around, and it's, it's just inspiring. It is. It becomes, I mean, because your front yard is a social space in the end. People walk by it. People see it. And, and in, certain, in certain communities, you know, we're very disconnected from each other. Oftentimes, it's something as unusual as seeing, you know, a, a blooming artichoke in somebody's front yard that can get neighbors who've lived next door to each other for years to actually start talking. And, and to me, that's, that's thrilling. But that's the power of food. Food brings people together over the table and in the garden. And increasingly, in front yards, in community gardens, you know, front stoops, balconies, people are, people are doing this everywhere now. And, and it's really, um, you know, it's a wonderful change. It's a wonderful change and a change, you know, I, I truly think this is an idea that, that its time has come. I agree. I think now that there is so much awareness being raised about GMOs and the fact that the more that we as consumers contribute to the monoculture environment, uh, when you start taking responsibility for your own food and you start looking at what it is that you're growing. I actually had uh, Suzanne Friend from Friendly Aquaponics on uh, recently, and she was talking about that. She was saying that some people complain about the cost of organic food. Well, you know, if you're buying if you're buying the non-organic non-food, as I like to refer it refer to <laughs> it as, um, when you grow organic, when you grow food organically, you're basically giving yourself a pay raise. So it's in your best interest to grow as much as you can. Not to mention the fact that it's good for the soil health, yeah. uh, which is really very important, especially when it comes to property values. If you have really good soil. Uh, that is a very big factor, especially since there is so much land that has been contaminated, whether it's from uh, the pesticide use uh, commercially um, or just domestically with all the different landscaping products, or uh, from fracking, which has now become a very big global issue. So uh, your soil health, let me tell you folks, Topsoil, it's not just a matter of calling up some garden center and saying, oh, yeah, it's like a couple of tons of uh, topsoil. It doesn't work that way anymore. I mean, it's, it's something that you as a homeowner really need to think about because if you don't have good soil, that affects everything that you attract into your yard as well as your own water. So, um, Absolutely. You know, that is, that's so smart, June. I mean, our, the quality of our soil is intrinsically bound with our, you know, with the, our health as, as uh, you know, a civilize, civilization and the health of our planet. Um, once we don't have soil, what do we have? If our soil is polluted and useless, what, what do we have? Exactly. And uh, speaking of which, when it comes to different foods, I mean, uh, for once and for all, people need to understand that when it comes to organic foods, you should only buy organic foods. There's no more uh, top ten anymore, not with these systemic pesticides. You need to buy only organic because it, these systemic pesticides are absorbed into the vascular system of the plant. And especially when you look at some of the, the um, different crops that are using uh, the organophosphates and uh, 
the methyl iodide that's being used on strawberries, I haven't purchased, uh, I've been too afraid to buy strawberries, to be honest with you, and um, unless it's unless they're grown from by somebody that I know, I won't buy them. And, uh, no, I, I I agree with you, right? I, I, I only eat strawberries when they're in season in my garden. Right now my strawberries are starting to come in, and I'm as happy as a ca- I'm just a very, very, you know, happy little camper now. I've got nice, sweet strawberries. And you, know, my you know what's amazing? When you try a strawberry from your own garden, it doesn't necessarily have to be bright, bright red. I know the strawberries that I grew um, – they weren't even fully ripe, and I was just amazed at how sweet they were. Oh yeah, it's just well, amazing. Again, that, the that, that, it, and that that tells us about the quality of your soil, because because the the sugars concentrate so much more heavily when the soil is you know is in balanced and nicely mineralized and and you know isn't depleted. Yeah, it's once again I can't stress it enough, folks start growing your own fruits and vegetables. I mean, <laughs> in the end, I mean, it's it's just, it's something that's always nice, especially, I just remember uh, how many times I've visited people that didn't have gardens, and they were always very, very um, appreciative of the gift of receiving freshly grown organic foods. So, you oh, know, it, it's also something, better. Yeah, something there's else that you can share. Better. Now, I, I have a question for you. You talk about growing your own agave, and it's interesting. I have an agave plant. Um, unfortunately, mine is a little guy. He's about, uh, I think, four inches tall now. And uh, <laughs> basically, I took him home uh, out of the herb garden uh, for the county. And um, I, I'm just curious, how do, do you grow your own agave? I do. I have over 15 types of agave in my garden. Wow. I'm uh, I'm an enormous fan of that particular plant, and uh, I haven't roasted. Um, I I really want to do that. I want to roast uh, the heart of an agave. Um, I've seen an agave roast done, and I am very excited to do it. But um, it's really hard for me to, of course, harvest them because they're 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 like friends to me. You know, in in a small suburban garden, I've got so many of them. But um, but I am really interested in in utilizing them for their sugars, and you know maybe one day I'm going to take the big leap and and make a <laughs> tiny batch of tequila from one of my agaves. Wouldn't that be fun? Well, it, I can appreciate why uh, you haven't done it so far, and I, I understand <laughs> that it's you now it's, it's kind of like part of the family when you look exactly. at those prize possessions uh and many avid gardeners feel the same way i mean when you have certain plants that are basically um you know your star children so to speak you're just very proud and the last thing that you want to do is uh basically cut up the plant to make something out of it even though <laughs> know, the plant will grow back but it's just the you know, not an agave that's the, that's the unfortunate part of that but a lot of ah, agave okay they have they have little pups, and so maybe that plant won't grow back, but you can. But there'll be a seedling right next to it. Yes, agaves are monocots, and so once they bloom, once they're done, they're done. And that's one of the reasons it's just like, oh, my God, I'm just getting rid of one of my friends, but one day I'm just going to have to do it. I'm going to have to sacrifice for the cause. I'm going to have to sacrifice for the edible front yard and utilize one of my agaves for either tequila or agave syrup. Either would be fantastic with me. You need to videotape that. That's going to be a historic <laughs> moment. That'll be yes. epic. <laughs> uh, on to um, herbs. 
um, you you spoke about time, and time is something that is truly underappreciated. And I remember uh, a couple years back, we used time to basically fill in the areas in our public educational display garden uh, where we knew people were going to be walking uh, and we didn't necessarily want it to just be um, like a vacant spot and we didn't want to just put stepping stones. We wanted to put something that would lend itself to the herb garden but also something that, um, you know, once again, people could walk on. And time was what we decided upon. Uh, now, can you just uh, explain to the folks out there um, what they should do with time and any suggestions for any varieties uh, or anything of that nature, you know, what your recommendations are for using thyme. Well, I think thyme is such a fantastic um, plant to utilize in the garden. Uh, all herbs, I, I like to think of herbs as the, as the gateway drug to edible gardening because usually when you start plant as well as tomatoes, but herbs are, are so easy. And um, when you think about the, the value that you get when you plant let's say, time, and you harvest it from your garden rather than paying, you know, $3 for a few sprigs of it at an organic market, and then, you know, that makes itself very evident that you should be planting herbs. Um, time I especially love because it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's part of the ground cover layer of the, of the edible garden. And for me, if you don't have a well-knit ground cover layer, you don't have a garden. You have a collection of plants. And um, and so so time is a very crucial member of of this of this you know force this like little army of ground cover plants that we have and there's so many beautiful varieties um, I I especially love uh, Thymus citriodora lime lime is is beautiful you know one of the things that that we miss that people miss about the the um, front lawn is that swath of emerald green well if you use lime thyme, you have that. You can plant a lovely carpet of thyme that gives you that same emerald color that is, you know, that you can actually, you know, it takes light foot traffic, and you can also eat it. It's, um, you know, where, how can we even think about lawn when we can use, when we can use thyme instead? Um, so I think that it's a wonderful lawn replacement. However, again, it doesn't take heavy foot traffic. And, um, and then, you can also utilize it as as a beautiful um, ornamental ele- ornamental element just by planting contrasting varieties of thyme, like um, the the argentatus, the silver thyme, with the lime thyme, and then there's a beautiful, um, you know, the the thymus aureus, which has which is a green leaf, tiny green leaf with a little yellow splotch in the middle of it that just looks gets flecked with gold. Um, and then the classic mother of time, you start getting all these different colors and textures, bouncing them together, and you have this low, beautiful Persian carpet effect within your garden, and it's all usable. And then, you know, you cut it back once or twice a year to refresh it, and you've got, you know, you're firing off on all cylinders there. I mean, it's, it's easy, edible, and beautiful. You forgot one thing, Yvette. How? When you walk, when you walk barefoot on that time. Oh, What's the better smell. than the smell of that time just permeating the whole area as you're walking oh. and then you go into the house and you're just like, wow, that smells so good. Yes, that's another, and, that, and Corsican <laughs> Mint for me, that's the same thing. Corsican Mint, oh, love that. Oh, yeah, yeah, fantastic smell. That's uh, 
Good one. <laughs> now, the next thing that I want to ask you about is, in your book, you talk about creating rays, not rows, as in sun rays. And I think that that is such a brilliant concept, and I kind of uh, am surprised that I didn't think to do that uh, all these years. And so I'm yeah. very grateful for uh, the insight and direction here. Uh, oh, well, that's from my friend Shauna Coronado out of Chicago. She um, that, that, that particular garden was a riff on her garden, and she did this sun ray garden, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. So I asked her, oh, can we, can we use this idea? And she was more than happy to share. And, uh, yeah, I think that's such a great idea. That, that, again, just like just a little shift like that. Instead of doing straight rows, you know, start with a center, a center moment, like maybe, you know, like a beautiful planting of, of artichokes or, 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 or um, a citrus tree or an apple tree and then make your rows radiate out from that, uh, that's just, you know, again, that's a, that's a really nice ornamental feature. And one of the other things that I want to ask you is when you're creating, when, when you're designing the landscape, um, uh, in the butterfly garden that I volunteered for, uh, it was just very interesting. The committee chairwoman, she designed the entire bed when you look at it from an aerial view it was actually in the shape of a butterfly, which I thought was quite clever. Oh, that's lovely. Do you, do you have any suggestions for creating these specific types of designs that, now, uh, not many of us can afford helicopters, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> for anything that is flying out there that can see it, I, I just think that it's tremendous. Uh, do you have any recommendations for creating these plans? Well, I think you know, you know, it's um, you know, for people who live like maybe on second stories or have have balconies that overlook, mm. it's really it's a really lovely additional feature to be able to look down on on a pattern and also walking through a pattern. I really love geometrics, and um, and one thing that is that is really fantastic about about edible gardening, like you know, we have we can we often need to utilize the idea of raised beds, and so. What um, you know, what one can do is is use a lot. Of, you know, create like one bed for each crop, and then you can have like this lovely geometrical form of you know just like little squares that can be so beautiful when looked at from above. If you're just planting one kind of crop in each square, then it becomes color blocking. You know, almost like like a you know like a like a painting, like an abstract painting, and bounded by by these beautiful, you know, raised edges of wood, and then you can put a in between it, you know, a lovely substrate like a path of of gravel or or again thyme or or wood chips, something that just gives you a distinctly different color than anything that's in those particular raised beds. That to me, I mean, I would love to do that if I had a second. If I had a second story, I would do that in a heartbeat. I think it's I think it's utilitarian and also incredibly beautiful and modern. Thank you. Now, um, my next question has to deal with or deals with um, reusing and repurposing materials. I just love the fact that you are so aware of the fact that uh, there's no reason to waste anything, and something that you might have used for one purpose, you can repurpose it and 
another situation where you're trying to achieve a different result. Do you have any tips uh, as far as what people could do or should do when they're trying to repurpose different materials? Well, I think that you should make sure that that what you're that what you're doing is is for an actual purpose. Um, to me, it's very important to be specific in your landscape and not just use something, you know, because because it's on hand. Um, if it if it doesn't fit in with your idea, it's never going to make you happy. Uh, better to if you have used bricks, you know, better to donate them to a friend who can really really utilize that and maybe you know maybe share something something else. Um, I also think you need to really plan well. Um, make sure that what you're doing is, is again, something that, um, that integrates into a larger whole rather than just is just like a piecemeal project. Um, oftentimes people don't think about the, the, the larger um, aspects of their, of their garden when they're doing these small projects, and they come up with something that's maybe a little hit and miss. Um, so to me, it's very important when you're when you're repurposing things to understand that that these go into a larger context and to be aware of that larger context. That's why you kind of have to really really play designer and think through things before you start, so that you're happy with your repurposing. So that it doesn't because I think that it's really important that even though you've reused, recycled, and repurposed, that it still looks amazing, fresh, and very dialed in. Excellent, excellent suggestion. Uh, one thing that I'd like to contribute is uh, my brother-in-law did this. I thought this was really, really smart. Uh, they had bricks from uh, – they were doing some remodeling, and they removed some some bricks from the house. And instead of discarding the bricks, what they did was they built um, they built a barbecue pit from it. And I thought that was really – I mean, it's a lot of work to yeah. do it, but – I just thought, wow, you know, that's uh, no, that's that really is, nice. That's really nice, and that's really thinking. You know, that's really thinking. That what what better thing than to have like something that you can utilize, like a barbecue pit, from something that was just a pile of old bricks. That's fantastic. And I actually had the pleasure of swapping uh, resources with someone um, through um, uh, FreeCycle.org. And uh, they needed um, pine needles, and I needed bricks. And it was funny. Um, we both posted ads for things that we were looking to uh, give away, and I had a whole bunch of things. And um, uh, he had said to me, uh, I posted something else, and um, he had said, by any chance, do you have any pine needles? And I said, oh, boy, do I. So um, he dropped off all these bricks that I used in my garden, and uh, I was very, very appreciative of that. And I gave him a whole bunch of pine needles. I'm not too sure what he needed them for, but I was more than happy to get them ready uh, for him to pick up. And, you know, that's what it's about, exchanging things with other people, especially if uh, it's something that you don't necessarily want to go to the landfill. If Absolutely. you can have someone else use it, I think that that is really uh, a smart thing to do. It, it's so important. I try to I try to make use of everything that is like that is in a client's um, you know property. Um, I if we're going to take out a patio, 
um, I want to utilize what what that hardscape was and and redo it in some way. Um, it's it's very important to me. It's a it's a way of thinking that I think we all need to approach in the in the design industry. We have to make sure that we're not part of of this problem of just creating more and more waste, more and more trash. It's very yeah. important to use. It's very important, and especially with plants. Uh, another one last thing that I'd like to just contribute is that. Uh, it, it's amazing when you put something out there where you have plants that you don't necessarily want to just compost and you know somebody else could use them. If you uh, reach out to people on sites like FreeCycle or even if you just contact some of the garden clubs and say, hey, you know something, I have uh, a whole bunch of you know whatever they may be, uh, does anybody want them? It's amazing that people will come and oh, yeah. they'll even pick them up. And they're very considerate not to damage your, your property. Uh, they'll bring their own, uh, own containers and tools and so on and so forth. And it, it's just a nice way to uh, share things that you have that maybe yeah. are in excess or things that you just don't want. Absolutely. It, it goes back to gardening being such a social endeavor. You know, this, this, I think that this new way of seeing things connects gardening with this entire, you know, it, it's at the forefront of the and that's that's really thrilling to me. Yvette, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been great talking to you about this oh, beautiful book, The Edible thank Front you. Yard. Um, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to see what your next book is. When is your next book coming out? Well, we're working on that right now. We've got to, like, uh, hopefully, hope, you know, it takes, it takes a little while, but hopefully within a year and a half you might be hearing something more from me. Now, Yvette, can you tell our audience what your website is? Yes, it's the, the germanatrix.com, and um, that is where you'll get to know me and my ideas a little bit more fully. I'm also on, um, on Facebook as Front Yard Food. Thank you. And also you're on Twitter as the Germanatrix as well. Yes, yes. So, folks, uh, for those of you out there in social media, uh, please follow her on Facebook and Twitter. Connect with her, but more importantly, pick up a copy of The Edible Front Yard. I mean, uh, this is just such a gorgeous book. So many ideas, so many ways to inspire you. It's just really one for the collection. Uh, Yvette, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been... 